All right, welcome to episode three of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Tonight, we are going to be chatting about Ember.js. My name is Steven, and tonight I am joined by Peter Germesheis, who will join us shortly. And our special guest tonight is Kenneth Kalmer. Hi, everyone. Cool. Kenneth, would you like to just give us some background with what you do and when you got into Ember? Yeah, sure. So I'm a Ruby developer, that's uh, my, my background. And I've had my eye on Ember for quite some time uh, in its early days when it was extremely volatile. And about 15 months ago, a project I had for a client kind of pushed me in the direction to, to jump on board with Ember just post 1.1. And I must say, it's been super pleasant this last year and a bit to have been working with it a lot. So that's that's kind of the long and the short for me in this context. Okay, that's awesome. I was going to check out Ember when it started about a year and a half ago. And I decided to check out Angular. And then I was going to check Ember, and I just never got around to it. And recently, somebody sent me the link for the keynote from EmberConf. And just watching... Yehuda Katz and Tom Dale present everything was it was an exceptionally impressive thing to me. Not only was the technology that they were presenting impressive, the fact that they were willing to admit that there were mistakes and that there were things that were not wrong, but things that they could have done better with the first versions of Ember. To me, that was really big. I mean, I, I know that Yehuda Katz and and Tom Dale have got an incredibly impressive history when it comes to, to technology. So since I've started looking into it, I've been exceptionally impressed by it. I want to start off with something, with a basic question for those people that don't know what Ember is yet. Can you give us a brief overview of what Ember is? Yes, I'll do my best to, to be honest with the course. So, so they'd like to phrase it as Ember is a framework for building ambitious web applications. Another way of putting it is it's almost like Rails in a good way. Not that there's anything bad with Rails. I love it. These guys took the, the wins from Rails. And <clears throat> some of the ideas that they had with the history from building Sproutcore at Apple and said, like, how can we make the web better and move forward? So they just brought a bunch of tooling and ideas and conventions over configuration, that methodology together to deliver this framework that allows you to build really big apps and, and even small apps or even widgets if you want and roll that out easy, quickly, effectively and with, with great tooling around it and a fantastic community already. So that is kind of the, the ground behind it. I think the big differentiators, people like to compare it against uh, Angular. I don't know a lot about Angular. I can't bad mouth it or good mouth it in that regard, but huge differences between the two. And um, from what I've seen, and then also you can't really compare it against something like Backbone or Knockout or any one of these other smaller libraries because Ember is a nearly all or nothing approach. Like it really wraps you up the same way you would use Rails. So I hope that kind of gives the lay of the land. Peter, welcome. I'm not sure if you've used Ember at all yet. Um, actually, I haven't. And thank you for for having me on the show. Um, no, I actually haven't used it in quite a while. I think um, the last time I used it, Rob Connery had a had a bit to say about it. So I'm I'm actually sitting in the Angular camp right now, which yeah, 
yeah, I'm I'm pretty keen to hear more about um, Amber and the direction it's going and why people would actually choose it over Angular. Excellent. So just to just to lay a bit of a foundation, I just want to make sure that this doesn't become an Ember versus Angular show. So we're just expanding on on what Ember does, and obviously there there will be comparisons to Angular, but we will we will definitely do an Angular show uh, coming up. So now, Kenneth, the, the the next question I have is that I hear a lot about Ember, Ember JS, but recently I've started hearing more and more about Ember CLI. So what is Ember CLI and how does that tie into Ember JS? So Ember CLI is you could consider it a, a tool chain around Ember. So traditionally, getting Ember into an application, it's not particularly difficult. You just include your Ember JavaScript, the, so ideally we'd use their development build for your development work or their production build. Their production builds is not just simply minified, they actually strip out a lot more code, all kinds of assertions and warnings that helps you during the development process. But, so you've got just your JavaScript in, you kind of need for the conventions to work, you need a way to bring it all together. So. It's strong naming conventions. If you want a controller or a model, models would be named just as is, objects. Controllers would be suffixed with controller, roots, roots, all the different components would be set up that way. But it can become very messy if you are just concatenating a bunch of JavaScript files and you have to like do the naming yourself. Ember CLI evolved from the Ember starter kit well, the Ember app kit was, was the original starter kit, which was kind of gave you just some folders and, and a loose structure. The guy said, okay, it's worked, but we need something more solid. We need to give people same as like the, the Rails idea of generate a, proje a project, here's all the folders where you put things in. They then looked towards the future of JavaScript, and they started saying at the same time we can use uh, bubbles so people can write ES6 syntax. We can use a custom resolver so that you don't need to worry about naming your classes anymore, your objects. Just put the right file with the right naming convention in the right directory and we'll make sure Ember can find it and we'll wire up the whole world for you in this way. And then from that, it just exploded, allowing people to do a lot more through add-ons. So they opened this plugin architecture so you can write an Ember add-on that either just ships you some libraries or some custom controls, validations, a ton of different things, or just stuff to help you during your development process. So it opened up that side, which was fantastic. And then what they did is they helped improve the Ember testing story significantly by actually giving you a pre-configured setup with testem and Ember Q unit. And the same thing again, directory structures. And when you use the code generators, you get tests as well. So it made it so easy to get going that suddenly all this like environment and tool chain problems has just been stripped away. And it's, it's rock solid. And you can build on that going forward. And it's been so popular that it's now becoming the blessed way to set up an Ember application. The Ember homepage of the EmberConf changed from recommending using Ember AppKit to using Ember CLI as a way to get going. Okay, so now things are starting to fall in place. So now I know Yehuda had a lot to do with Rails. And if I'm not mistaken, he wrote a book or two on, on Rails and Ruby. and Earlier, when you said that you know Ember used you know some of the good parts of, of Rails, 
it sounds like it's very similar with the convention over configuration. Definitely. Um, that is that is really great. So with Ember CLI as a whole, which build tools would you be using? Are, are they built into Ember CLI, or would you still uh, hook into something like Gulp or into Grunt? No, so it's Ember CLI is, is written in Node, and it uses Broccoli as the build chain in the background. Okay. So it's a pre-configured Broccoli setup that you can tap into. Uh, it's not that often that you would actually need to, except for importing packages that you install via Bower. If you're not using an Ember add-on, you would actually need to fiddle with the Broccoli bits, but it's clearly defined. Otherwise, you don't end up touching the Brock files at all. And Broccoli is fantastic. It is so much faster than a Gulp and a Grunt. Sorry, not Grunt specifically. I've got an older Ember project that we were chatting about in the pre-show. That's on a, on a Grunt-based setup. When I started that, there was no Ember CLI, and, and for me, the Ember app kit at the time just wasn't appealing enough, and that's slow and painful to work with. The Ember CLI setup is just so, so fast. It's a dream. So it's quite interesting how things move, uh, how quickly things move along, because around about this time last year, Peter and I were preparing for a JSNSA talk, talking about different build tools, and at the time, we were specifically looking at Gulp, and we discussed grunts, and we discussed a number of things, and part of, I specifically remember including a slide that had to do with broccoli, and I was joking and laughing and saying, we've just started moving to gulp, and now this broccoli has arrived. We don't know much about it, but, you know, whatever. We'll see how far it goes. And now CLI is based heavily off of broccoli. Uh, you have to love the open source community and how quickly things move. Especially the node world. <coughs> So, Peter, from your side, even though I, I maintain we're not going down a, an Ember versus Angular tangent, I remember chatting to Kevin McKelvin a while ago, and his big issue with Angular was writing tests for Angular. There was a lot of injection that had to be done. There was a lot of setup. There was a lot of... He was referring to it as pain. Was that something that you experienced when you were testing with Angular? You guys write tests? Oh my word, that's amazing! Um, um, no, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> actually, actually um, Angular's got a great testing story. So I actually haven't really experienced any issues writing any tests for Angular specifically. What I'm, uh, what I actually wanted to ask was, which is something that would be would be pretty cool to know, as to how do you actually start out with Amber? So with Angular, you Pretty much have your, <laughs> you pretty much have your um, your standard markup for for an HTML page, and then you would add like an attribute called ng app, and that would wire up to your Angular module, and then you would have your controllers and your templates associated with that. So I'm pretty curious for those who haven't worked with Amber yet, how would you actually get to start out um, using Using Amber, what's the what's the minimum amount that you actually need? So the minimum you need, I would recommend the Ember CLI approach, uh, just because it wires everything up for you. Given if you generate a project with Ember CLI, you would get um, an index.html file uh, in a public directory that includes all the JavaScript and CSS split apart. So there's your own ones, and then your vendor vendor stuff, which is all the dependencies. 
that would give you, and then a body tag, so kind of just the background. Then when you start up the Ember application, which in this case would be kind of hidden away for you, from you in the generated code, Ember will attach itself to the body tag by default, and that's okay. what it would take charge of. Otherwise, you can scope it to a specific part of the DOM by just saying what the root node is and giving it a, a CSS selector, and it will only operate within that part of the DOM. It kind of needs that. Also, it uses that root node for all of the event handling, so it only okay. ever listens for events at the very top level of the DOM, so it's a bit cheaper. When the events floats, makes its way up, bubbles up the DOM, it only listens in one spot and reacts from there. That's besides the point. It will give you the, the markup by default. It uses the handlebars template engine, mm -hmm. but it can be swapped out for others. So people use Slim with it or uh, Emblem, which is a Slim-like one. I don't particularly like it. I feel it gets like too minimalistic, and you kind of have to do this translation in your head to make sense of what the output would be. So handlebars is, is just fine for small snippets, and I find generally the Ember templates don't get that out of hand that like you'll have one that doesn't fit in one screen. So it's a pain to write HTML, but I guess you don't get away from that with Angular because you embed directly in the in the tags. So so that's templates. Ember controllers and Ember, um, they're a moving target and they're the source of great confusion for people because they sit in this weird spot between handling events. Uh, I guess that's where the controller name actually comes from. But they also act as decorators or presenters. They would wrap a model or a collection of models and then provide you with a bunch of helpers for your templates to use. So, But their role is busy changing for uh, on the course team, but too, they're actually um, going to get rid of, of object controllers, which was this magic if you didn't understand it and, and created a lot of confusion. And array controllers, it's a bit uncertain what's happening with them, but it's not the end of the world. And then the biggest part for Ember is the routers and the routes. And they're responsible for setting up your state of your world. So when you've got a blank Ember app, you'll by default have an application route and application template that's tied together and gets rendered out. And then you'll start off with forward slash being an index route with an index template. And this all happens right off the bat. If you don't generate those ones yourself, Ember will auto-generate them. And they'll just be these vanilla, like, according to the API docs, and boom, you've got an app ready to start going. You can start plugging data in and wiring up the router to more routes to handle changes in the URL and respond to it. That's kind of, I hope I covered the ground for you. Oh, that's fantastic. So I actually have another question. So with regards to the... And the one thing that Angular actually does stand out with is the fact that it has this notion of um, something called directives, which is a way for you to be able to extend the element uh, library. So you don't just have div tags. You, what you could do is you could actually uh, declare your own tags. Does Ember have something similar? Yes, yeah, so Ember has components. And this, for me, is one of the stellar parts of Ember and the leadership. So, so Yehuda Katz serves on TC39 as well. So a big part of his job is like figuring out the future of the web. And Ember's components is one of the playgrounds where they're testing out what the possibilities of the web component spec is going to be. So web component in that regard similar to uh, Ember, Angular directives. So the newer versions of Ember that's coming soon, I think 
12, so it's two stable versions away, will have that instead of using handlebar syntax, you'll literally just write your custom tag, exactly the same way you would write the custom directive in Angular. And then this would be your Ember component that kicks in, and it's got its own templates and event handling, and they try to isolate it as much as possible from the outside world so that it acts as close as possible to what the web component spec is going to be. And it also forces you to, whatever you call your component, has to have a dash in the name. That's part of the web component spec to make it mm -hmm. like stand out from normal HTML tags that don't have dashes. So that's mm -hmm. the answer to that. And and so just to add, it's always cruel. Um, in the early days, with a lot of these, when you watch these presentations at like JavaScript conferences and there's an Ember versus Angular talk, uh, there was one where they had Tom Dale and it wasn't Misco, it was somebody else from the Angular team up on a conference, and it, it went quite nice. They did this, like, tit for tat, like, we do this mm -hmm. way in Angerland, and he does this in, in Ember, and so they went until he actually said, uh, Tom said, he's going to do this, although he promised not to do it, and he made a loop that renders two rows for every entry in the model, and then suddenly the directives, oh, well, the normal Angular stuff fell flat, and it needed a directive. That was <laughs> quite so funny. But that's so, the answer to directives, is, is web components, and it's the future of web components proper. Oh, okay, fantastic. So the reason I'm trying to trying to include Angular is for the listeners that either know Angular or for those that are trying to draw comparisons between the two um, frameworks. So it's so it's purely not because I'm trying to um, evaluate uh, which one people are trying to use, but more so that that for myself I get an understanding as to to how Amber works because uh, these frameworks are often compared because they offer very similar kind of uh, development and or like environments. So the one question I have with regards to uh, so we've spoken we've spoken about the components is with the, the one thing with Angular is that Angular is very simple from a from a like a controller and models point of view and like the development is quite easy to get up to up until the point we actually start working with directives, and then the syntax starts getting a little bit more difficult. Is it quite easy to to actually get into writing some of the components for Amber, or is it quite quite a steep learning curve? I think Amber's got a different learning curve, and and I think its learning curves flattening out. So it's it's the the inverse, I think at the beginning you would run around a bit in the dark, not understanding what everything is, and especially when controllers comes your way the first time. It's, so I said, so it's this gray area, and they're trying to get, not like trying to fade it out so that it doesn't become so important, or it isn't that important anymore, and, and you can really get far without it. But once you understand the naming, and I think that's where the Embassy CLI part shines. So suddenly the naming is demystified tremendously. It's really, really easy, and everything in Ember looks like everything else in Ember. It's very simple JavaScript objects. So you use Ember's um, Ember objects. That's their way of, of defining an object and all its behaviors. And then from there, everything looks the same. If you use what Ember calls computed properties on objects, it's the same whether you're in a controller or you're in your model or you're in your component or you're in the Ember view or you're writing a helper method. They all just become normal JavaScript and that the stuff just like overlaps so <coughs> so nicely. The thing is just understanding what the different bits are and what part they play. That's the, the, 
the tricky part. So it doesn't have this. My experience in hearing what other people have said about Angular is exactly what you just said, that two-step learning. Like it's such so nice to get going and things go well and it's it's this beautiful honeymoon phase until you hit your first directive. So mm. I don't know. I've never written a directive. So I wouldn't can't give you an apples for apples comparison. But I must mm. say when I started writing Ember components, I didn't feel particularly strange about it. The only thing for me that was unusual is the isolation. So the idea that with an Ember component you pass data in and then you use actions from inside the component to tell the parent that contains the component that things are have changed and let it react. So which is also great because it's, it's going to become a standard in Ember. It's like they're dropping two-way bind, data binding by default for one-way data binding. And so it's very the React.js model is data down, events up. So they're embracing wow. that kind of workflow. I was about to ask about the um, dual, uh, dual binding or the data binding story and how Amber are dealing with that. But yeah, thank you very much for, for answering that question. Well, let me, let me some, uh, just, so as things stand at the moment, the data binding is two-way okay. and it is phenomenal. They really did amazing work of, of the, the different data binding stuff I've used and trying to roll my own failures with Backbone before Ember. It, it's, this one is really solid. The flip side is it's so good you've got unintended side effects because while somebody is busy editing their profile in a form, the upper navigation bar is updating as they type. And and then at the same time, because it works so well, people start abusing the data binding almost as an event bus or a messaging bus. And oh. that's what they're trying to unwind. And then obviously the performance set is actually quite hard, trying to keep all these things in sync. Mm. So and, and they took a big page from React, not just from a rendering performance point of view, but also from the data binding. They were like, these guys have figured something out that's simple, and it works, and it's just hugely performant, and we're just going to follow suit. And then they went and looked like around the community and the kind of apps that people are building and the apps that, that the core team builds for their clients. And they were like, the data, two-way data binding is fantastic. We just don't need it as often as we thought. So how can we change this to be actually better for everybody? So they're swapping it out for one-way binding by default, which is going to be fantastic, I believe, and then the event's up. And that's part of a bigger push for everything to end up becoming components. That's actually something I didn't mention when we chatted about components. They want to, because it's kind of the future of where the web's going, they want to make that the number one feature of, of Ember in time. Oh, fantastic. So Steven, Steven's been keeping quiet. I don't know what he's doing. He's probably fell asleep or something. Um, no, dude, I'm, I'm loving the conversation. I, I really am. I'm, I'm sitting here. Some, I, for, I almost forgot to unmute my mic now. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's been incredible to listen to it all. So my, my next question is, is, is going to be around um, testing in Ember. With, along with Ember CLI, are there, are there set test tools that they recommend or is it pretty much bring in QUnit, bring in Jasmine, bring in Mocha, bring in whatever the hell you please and just test it and are there any distinct pains with testing um, components in particular um, or is that all pretty straightforward? So the, the testing story has been quite interesting over time. There used to be Yehuda just used to say, guys, let's go test it. But there was no real 
like examples really to to get you going. So we had to wire up all kinds of nonsense to to get ourselves going, and some of it was very painful. But people did want to test, and that was a, like the great push. They really wanted their apps to be fully, fully test-driven at, at all kinds of different levels. That might have been a compulse, like an obsessive thing coming from for people coming in from Rails. So there, there was bugs, a lot of small bugs over time with Ember's ability to reset the world so you can get a clean state for setting up and tearing down between tests that they sorted out. But people just kept complaining or nagging Yehuda and the core team and, and going, guys, like, okay, great, we understand it, but how? Like, we're actually not good enough. We come from other frameworks where the testing harness is set up for us, given, and we just plug in. Like, we are not good at setting up the harness, but we're really good at using it. And then Ember CLI went and said, they went and chose um, or built on top of Ember QUnit, which Ember was kind of like the blessed version that you should test your apps with and roll out this amazing story for us. However, it can be swapped out. Uh, you can test with Karma and Jasmine and Mocha and every almost any other framework because Ember has these very, very clear integration points for other testing frameworks. So Ember themselves ship with a, a QUnit adapter for testing, but then this you can build other adapters for other frameworks. So they give you the hooks to reset the apps and configure the state and from there, it's pretty much just, and I guess that's what you'd always say to everyone, it's like, just instantiate your stuff and use the the injectors to get your dependencies in. It's it's not like Angular's in, the injections don't happen by, like, the constructor. They come in slightly different. But it's the same thing. Dependency injection, mostly hidden away. Just get it right and, and use your code. There's no real magic, like, the magic comes from Ember's ability to just guess the names of things and find them or generate ones and, and just string it together. So they've worked tremendously hard. And, and from the solid base and this QUnit uh, testing story we now have, it's amazing. You just run a testing server in the command line and it will drive through all a browser on your machine, so PhantomJS and Chrome. And it just live reloads and runs all the tests as you're busy, like, hammering out stuff. And they've got the world set up neatly for you with a bunch of helpers. So model tests behave slightly different to acceptance tests, or unit tests and acceptance tests are slightly different. They give you tons of helpers to just bootstrap the environment for specific things. Components are very, very easy to test. The guys have really done so much work to just take down the barriers. It is very, very easy to get going. And I might reach into one of my picks is from EmberConf 2015. There's a talk about TDDing an Ember app, and it's live coded. And this guy, Torin, just goes from nothing and builds a, a fully functioning app, driving it just through the acceptance test layer. So, and he does one unit test. But it is really such a refreshing talk to just see how he does it. And I actually used some of the stuff he did just today in helping somebody fleshing out a, a demo in a, a channel we've got in Slack, and it was just fantastic. I just moved my scroller, scrubber around in, in QuickTime. I'm like, oh, there's the piece I was looking for. It, it's fantastic. So the testing story is really, really good, and it's really fast. It's such a pleasure to test these JavaScript apps compared to a full-stack Rails app. Yeah, no, look, I'm, very, I'm looking forward to uh, watching that video because anybody who can live code in a talk already has my respect. 
So to do that at you know on a stage like Embercon with you know who knows how many people they're watching, it, it it should be should be pretty interesting to see. So we've heard a lot about the things that you really like with Ember. So I'm curious to know what is the one thing in Ember. I mean, it doesn't have to be right now. It can be over the last few months or whatever. What is the the biggest challenge or pain point that you've had with Ember over the last while? And what are the creators doing to address this? Have they started addressing it yet? So I think like a lot of people, Ember data um, is the, the promised land and at the same time also the most painful part of using Ember. And I think, but that's from two folds. That is explaining to new developers who are curious about Ember, they read about it somewhere, or they watch the talk and they get so excited and then they go, but wait a minute, Ember data is not like, it's still in beta and people are complaining about it. So, so it's like getting people to understand, other developers to understand you don't need Ember data. It's just an abstraction for getting data from an API. You can use normal jQuery, JSON, or anything else for that matter, or just static fixtures. Uh, um, so that's kind of the one, and then when using it, and using it in, in, in strange and, and wonderful ways, you get the most ridiculous edge cases, and suddenly you get code that can become very verbose, where everything else is nice and compact and isolated in files that are seldomly more like 30 or 40 lines, or if it's more, it's you're bootstrapping some other components. It's that can get quite weird and you just need to sit and sift through the Ember discourse forum and the GitHub issues to figure out what other people did and to understand what the core team is doing to address it because they are very, very much working on getting Ember data pinned down and solid. From their side, with all the, like, they, they admit fault in saying they wanted Ember data to do way too much. Like, that's the part where they, they like, just bit off more than they could chew. And the only way that they started getting Ember, sta Ember data stable enough was to actually get rid of stuff. They were like, listen here, we can't support this. This is just nuts. We, we, it doesn't work. And then at the same time, they also changed things from seeing the successes of normal Ember. They were like, okay, wait a minute. Promises for all the async stuff is working so well. Let's start switching all the Ember data stuff to be promise-based as well. Because in the three years it took us to build Ember data, the web has changed and we need to react. So they're doing great stuff, but it's this awkward spot where 90% of the time, Ember Data is this absolutely amazing library to work with. It works phenomenally well, and then suddenly you start hitting edge cases where you start to just build these just simple functions, but it feels unnatural. You were used to the framework doing so much for you, and, and you're spoiled, and suddenly you need to dip in and get your hands dirty yourself, and you're like, oh, what's going on, and your code gets verbose, but it still works, and then you just kind of need to keep your finger on the pulse with every Ember data released, like whether things have changed or not. So to give one example, Ember data's models can have relationships, so it has many and belongs to relationships, and it would then know how to walk a remote API to fetch more data and build up, populate the Ember store on the client side. So in Ember... Those getting those relationships used to return of, uh, the results of loading a relationship could either be the actual object that got loaded, if Ember has it in its store, or if it doesn't, it would have returned you a promise while it goes and fetches the data. And that is the most 
strangest thing to code against because you've got a guard against every time you call a relationship. Is this relationship or is this the promise? What should I do? And at the time when they wrote the code initially, they thought the nature of how people would use it would be more synchronous. Almost like when you load an Ember app, you would seed the Ember store with a lot of data, so then you would want it to be the synchronous style API and only fall back to a promise where they've since learned and said, no, 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 we, they have this notion of async promises, uh, async relationships, which turns out the only difference is it will always give you a promise. And if it's got the data on the store, it just resolves the promise on the spot and your app's just a little bit faster. And if it doesn't, it will go and fetch it. So now you get this weird thing where every time you need use relationships, you've got to go, remember, it's async to You've got to explicitly tell Ember that. And when Ember data stable drops, we're just going to go through all our models and delete the setting out of our code. It's not the end of the world. It's just, it's unusual. And then I have to say, the other thing just for me has been promises. They are a blessing and a, a curse at the same time. But it's just, I don't think I spend enough time actually getting to like the absolute bottom of it and understanding how they work. But they're the absolute core of embeds. How the data layer works, it's how the transition between different routes in your application works. You can build a ton of stateful stuff around promises. You can have proxies around promises, so the outside world doesn't even know it's using a promise. It's just abstracted away. They've really done such a good job. It's all powered by a library called RSVP. And uh, speaking earlier of the TC39 stuff, this again is like, it is so close to what the ECMAScript 6 promise spec looks like with just some syntactic sugar around it. But the behaviors are exactly the same. So if you take the time to learn and understand RSVP, you'll be just, we'll all be ready for when ES6 promises just drop and become a standard. Like I said, that's just some homework I need to do and really get behind it. Those for me are the two things. Other than that, it is actually just amazingly simple to work with. It's a lot of moving parts, which is not a bad thing. It's like clearly defined what they all do, and they work together in great harmony. That is incredible. Peter, anything from your side regarding the challenges? Any questions? Yeah, so one of the um, other questions I have with regards to Amber is the structure of your application. Um, now, you did mention the CLI, the Amber CLI. Is there any prescribed or any great tips that you can give somebody with regards to structuring the application? Because I know Angular, in the beginning, everybody was like kind of finding their feet with Angular and how to structure the application with regards to where you put your controllers, where do you put your templates. So do you have any tips from that point of view? That's exactly what Ember CLI was designed to solve. Okay. So they give you that entire layout. They even go so far as removing, uh, like you naming your objects, and you just export stuff in ES6 modules, and they will then hook up a custom resolver for Ember so that it can find the stuff in these ES6 modules as opposed to you making a typo. The file name is one thing, but the constant you defined inside it, or the class name is something else. It handles all of that stuff away from you. It's an absolute dream. I think it's a pain for people that love CoffeeScript because you end up using the, the CoffeeScript backtick notation a lot for your import statements and your export statements at the end of the file. Uh, so that, I guess, for if you're... Like, I used to be a CoffeeScript fan, but I just found that CoffeeScript made me such a better JavaScript developer that I just don't need CoffeeScript anymore. I can still love it, but I, I simply just... 
don't wire it up to anything anymore. I just write JavaScript. I'm quite comfortable with it now. I always get sad when I see backtick as a language feature or a language option because backtick is my shortcut to bring up my uh, to bring up my terminal. So the moment that I go, oh this is that I'm like oh now I need to remap. Why would I want to remap that key? It's so convenient. <laughs> That's interesting. I just command tab and remember where it is in the in the index of open windows. So I mean, I I use it across uh, I mean across my Windows machine at work, and I've now done the same on my on my MacBook. Now it doesn't matter where I am; I don't have to Alt Tab twelve times to you know get to the right window or whatever. I just hit back tick, and my terminal is there. Uh, it saves me it saves me a fraction of a second. But you know, I I liked Scott Hanselman's post from a few years ago that you know you've only got so many. You've only got so many keystrokes in your life before you die. I'd like to try and save as many as I can. That does make sense, <laughs> as long as that doesn't hinder you. So no, actually, no, no, it doesn't. As I like, I, I'm peering at our our agenda topics. There was like this actually very important point, and and Stephen, you alluded to it earlier when you said at the keynote how the creators actually for lack of a better word, admit defeat and then say, but like, cool, let's like get back on our yeah. horses and like charge off and make things better. So this yes. limit re uh, rendering engine is the, the current example of this. But there's been throughout Ember's time, I wish there was like a timeline I could, I could point people to, to go and look. And if you actually follow it and keep your finger on the pulse, they have consistently since 1.0 done those kind of changes. Where, and they looked at things and they were like, this was a great idea where we started, but it doesn't fit with where things are going now, what people actually want, or we have just since learned more. Like actually what sounded like a good idea on paper, the moment we actually tried to drive it out, it didn't work, they're constantly taking that feedback and pulling it into their release cycle. And I think it's just absolutely fantastic. So people will tell you when you search for Ember help and stuff, filter things out from before September 2014, um, 2013, that's when Ember 1 came out, or more or less that time, because it was just absolute chaos, things were changing weekly. Then they put a, a 1.0 on it and they started stabilizing the APIs. There were very few big changes since 1.0, and the ones that were there were tremendously useful. Uh, stuff like the async root transitions came in after 1.0 and, and there was one or two other things. But since then, with every release, they always like start deprecating things and improving things or like communicating that the intent of said thing that you're using is going to get, it's going to change or it's going to get better. And they just hold your hand at the, at the same time while they're busy changing direction. So it's not like they leave you with this radical rewrite uh, that you're faced with, or this massive thing at the framework change. They just went and they adopted this Chrome-style release cycle. Every six weeks, a new version drops. And in the weeks leading up to that, they've got three or four beta releases of the new version, so people can test against it. They've got a Canary build, which is always the latest passing build on Master, so you can choose where you want to be, Canary, beta, or stable. So with every release, they basically if they switch feature flags, because that's basically the difference between the beta and the stable. It's just the beta has some features turned on that they're busy testing out and they want feedback on. 
and the ones that don't log a lot of issues, that gets happy. They just release the new one with those features now and by default, and you can still switch them off if you want. And then the next one's just roll and roll, and, and all you get is deprecation warnings. And with Ember 2.0, the only thing that's actually going to happen is they're just going to delete all the deprecated code. So Ember 2.0 is a complete non-event. It's just Ember itself is going to shed weight, and it's going to be lighter, and you can carry on. So the promised future land of uh, the Glimmer rendering engine, that's going to land in Ember 1.13, I believe, or even 1.12. So not even in 2, yeah. because yeah. they go use a clean slate, basically. And then we're going to start with feature flags, changing the behaviors, and introducing a few new things, and make the project better. So the leadership's always looking out and looking forward, and they're never afraid to go like, we made a mistake. There's been several times in the past. Oh, and they also look to other frameworks the whole time, so that they don't build this moat or this armor and go like, we're impenetrable, you can't get near us, Angular or React. So since React came out, it changed a few things in Ember. They just went, this is insane. These Facebook guys came up with this amazing thing that does like all these great things, and we suck at it. How can we get better? Like I said, it's not just the rendering performance for, for Glimmer. It's also the, the data bindings one way, data down, events up. They took that from there. There's been stuff that they've taken from a lot of frameworks and other tools over the year, and they'll just keep looking for the next best thing, test it, see what gets people excited, can it work, and they'll work its way back into Ember. And I think that the, is amazing. I think the big difference here is that at least you're, you can see that the guys in charge of Ember are actually using Ember. They're not just building a framework for the sake of building it. They're actually using it as they're going. So what I picked up from that keynote was that they seem to do a fair amount of work on Ember, but while working on Ember, they're actually doing you know, client-facing work. So they're feeling the pain points that the general community is feeling, except they've got the knowledge to and, and the power to actually change it. So when they see something cool in React, they adopt it. If it makes sense and it works and it's feasible, why not do it? Because then they themselves don't need to jump across to React to get that kind of performance. They build it into Ember and they just carry on going. That's exactly right. And, and they like saying it's one of the strengths is that Ember, unlike a lot of the competition, isn't controlled by one person or one corporation. So Angular with all due respect, it's always under the threat if Google changes its mind about what it wants, it can just go in a different direction and it could leave everybody just hanging. And Facebook could do the same with React. Jeremy Ashkenaz could do the same with Backbone if he just gives up and doesn't want to do stuff. I think Marionette had the same kind of thing for a while, but the, 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 the core team there is like diversified a bit more. Where the Ember is not just, I think it's always like Tom and Yehuda get the spotlight, but there's a lot of guys that's doing actually probably a lot more than them on the project recently. They've done a lot to de democratize the project. And it's a lot of different companies that have a vested interest directly on core team level in the future of the project. And it's that diversity, and, and that's so powerful. It's like you said, they're basically dogfooding dog every feature. They would, till they would try out stuff on Skylight. People are paying for this product, and yet they're driving out new features and making sure it takes pain away they're believing. And Dockyard is doing the same with the projects they're working on. They just want to take pain away, be better, faster. 
So they, they, their contributors are pushing up, and so it goes for the most of the core team. And that's really a unique position, and it leverages this, or it creates this rich environment that these guys can draw from and just fuel the future. It's, it's really nice from that point of view. Awesome. Then finally, what is the one feature or, or the one thing in Ember that you love the most? If, if there was one thing you could cherry pick out of Ember and say this is this is the most awesome thing, this is the reason you should really have a look at it, what what would that one be? Oof, that you really put me on the spot now. <laughs> so <laughs> I would say um, the router, actually. I think that's probably the most underutilized amazing piece of just how this thing works and I probably only got to grips with nested roots just last night and for the first time really really leveraged it not just look through some example in the guides that's been fantastic but I want to add on I think CLI as an ecosystem if I can bring it all together mm. that is like the most amazing that is the biggest accelerant for Ember's adoption I believe at the moment it is just amazing what these people are doing with it and it's just so great it's just taking all the pain away okay awesome so that was that was an answer I definitely wasn't expecting I was expecting you to lead with CLI and you said the roots are the wait wait what <laughs> yeah I needed to make it Ember specific first because you can still <laughs> use so I was posed with that that challenge today is using Ember in a JS but I was like oh boy I don't have MBCLI. How do I actually do this again? I've completely forgotten. And then I just looked at one of uh, Robert's, one of the core team guys, J uh, J Spence. I was like, oh, of course, there's just three lines at the top that I forgot to actually create an application. Boom. And then we were off to the races. But the router is, is it's insane. Like Once you start understanding what you can do with it, it's really nuts. And it's such a great way to represent state from a URL and all build up state from a URL. It's, it's fantastic. That's something I definitely look forward to investigating. Peter, are there any last questions from your side? No, not at all. I mean, um, Kenneth has done an amazing job at giving us a great overview of Amber, um, as well as some some very cool tidbits. So, yeah, thank you very much, Kenneth. I really, really do appreciate it. Also, Ken Kenneth, is there anything from your side um, that, that we haven't covered that you, that you think we should just touch on quickly? I think two things. Um, just the Ember guides on the website is actually phenomenal. Uh, there is an older Ember video, I think it might have been from EmberConf last year, where, I forgot to present his name, it's a guy from Zendesk, talks about how he helped a group of people uh, like almost like previously disadvantaged kind of girls in, in just outside of San Francisco. They taught these girls how to program Ember and they these girls built apps using just the guides. It was the only documentation they had they had. And from it's better now, but there used to be a time that people said the documentation on Ember is horrible and it is not true. It is some of the best documentation out there. And then to follow on from that, if the documentation doesn't suit you from the API docs, you can always just click a link that takes you straight to that source code on GitHub. And the Ember source code is amazingly easy to read and navigate through. And just you can learn so much by just peeking inside the code. So it's make sure you're looking at documentation from 2014 and later when you Google. So you just don't find the, the early 1.0 releases and the pre-1.0 releases and the Ember guides are phenomenal. 
and the guys are now going to start versioning the guides so that if you're on an older version you can get older guides that fits that one and the newer ones won't leave you all confused. That's an important thing. People think the documentation yeah. is crappy but it's fantastic. Really, really good. Okay, that's great. Uh, you said two things. So the Ember guides and? And browse the source code on GitHub from the API uh, docs. Okay. Yes. okay. So okay, they kind of tie together, but they're separate. And I find we do that a lot when we pair up as well. You look at the docs, you're like, this doesn't make sense. It's just click on the view source link, and you're right okay. there in GitHub. It links to the line, so you don't even need to search for it in the file. Yeah, that is that is incredibly useful. So I, I saw that with the um, with Censure's ext.js documentation uh, when I was working at a previous job. They also had similar things in their API docs. You could click on a uh, on a function and it would take you straight to that function um, in the source code. It, it wasn't it wasn't on GitHub, but you know the the idea was the same. Still, Rails has the same in the API docs. You click show source if the documentation isn't clear enough. It's a fantastic tool. I think a lot of open source people should just adopt it. It's, it really makes it so much better. Yeah. Cool. So I think we're going to jump straight into the picks um, and then round off. Um, Kenneth, would you like to start with the picks? Uh, sure. I don't have uh, too many. I, I thought I'll keep it very topic specific as opposed to wandering all over the place. The first one is, and Steve, excuse me, is a competing podcast, <laughs> the That's Ember fine. Land podcast, uh, Ember.Land, strangest TLD. Uh, it's it's the guys from Dockyard. They have, it's weekly and it's very short. I think the longest one so far is 15 minutes. But they just kind of quickly run through Ember as things stand now. And for a very fast-moving world, it's just great. And it's also a lot forward-looking. So you kind of like, you pick up things that you need to know that's coming. It's fantastic. Um, I would implore everybody to go watch the, if you're curious about Ember, watch the keynote from EmberConf 2015 with Tom and Yehuda. It's not a lot of code, but it gives you an idea of the leadership. And I think that's great when you know you're betting on this thing because this technology has to pay your salary and has to keep your clients happy. It's got a lot riding on it. So, so to kind of know the leadership and not just the code, it's fantastic to see like how humble these guys are and how excited they are and how they want to get things done and how they can take a punch. Um, that's to me is stellar. And then also from there, I'll give a link for the show notes, is the, the test-driven development video by Torrin. It is absolutely mind-blowing. I'm sure there's plenty of other fantastic talks in there. I've still got a, a lot of them to, to watch and work through. Um, and then I think as a non-Ember, a non-tech pick, for people that like enjoying craft beers or beers in general, uh, Charles Nutter from JRuby, when he was here for Ruby Fusa earlier this year, he showed me this amazing little app called Untapped. And it's basically like Foursquare for your beer. It will just, you check in that you had this funny, weird beer that you tend to forget the names, and especially when testing out craft beers, some of them are just absolutely disgusting. So when you kind of journal what you've had, this takes the pain away of making that same mistake. And that then it can actually awesome. make suggestions. If you walk into a place and they suddenly have a whole new variety of hipster-powered beers and you have no idea what you would want, this app can actually say, like, based on your history of beers, you might enjoy this one the best. And I must say, I've discovered a few very nice beers and avoided a few pitfalls that way. So it's been fun. And it does all the other social thing, badges and, and whatnot. And yeah. Just fun, but it's more personal thing, just like a, a little journal so you don't make the same mistake. So, but I mean, if, I'm sure people that like wine, there's similar apps for wine, and if you don't drink, then that's also perfectly fine. That's yeah. you know, that's kind of my picks. 
Awesome. So I definitely have to plus one that keynote from uh, from from EmberConf. I mean, it's it's the one reason why I've started paying serious attention to Ember. Um, and also, I had seen Tom Dale talk once or twice before. I'd never seen him in a suit before. That kind that of was something different. That kind of caught me off guard when it loaded up, and I was like, "Why are you in a suit?" <laughs> cool, Peter, your picks. So apparently, there's been a channel lurking around where all the South African developers hang out, which is the ZA Developer Slack channel. So I definitely pick that as my pick. That's quite interesting. I never knew it existed until now. So, so it's it's been it's been a hidden little feature. Uh, so it was the old ZA Rubyists channel that just got renamed around uh, about the time of Ruby Fusa. So yeah, I'll. I think it's kind of an invite-only thing. So if, if anybody's keen for an invite, just drop me a message on Twitter, or we'll, we'll give the contact details at the end, and we'll we'll hook people up. Mm. Cool. Was was that the only one, Peter? Yeah. Awesome. So I've, I've also only got one, and I don't often uh, make mention to plural sites. I, I have personal issues against them. But it seems to be the only way to get Rob Connery's new course. Um, Rob, Rob Connery has posted a new course um, on Pluralsight called Mastering Your Own Domain. And this little tagline is move your digital information away from big services that snoop your stuff because paranoia. Let's let's do it. And he quickly just runs through, uh, it's, it's only a two-hour course, and he runs through the basics, registering a domain, setting up mail, where you can host your source code. And surprisingly, he doesn't make reference to to GitHub that I've seen so far. And then he just runs through setting up Ghost um, and Nginx. And yeah, I've, I've been enjoying it. I haven't finished it yet. I'm about halfway through. So if you can organize a free trial of Pluralsight or something, definitely check it out. I don't know if there's a way to just buy an individual course off of Pluralsight. But if there is, I definitely recommend it. I have been known to be a bit of a Rob Connery fanboy, but I, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Um, Kenneth, you want to add one more? Yes, a book I bought two or three weeks ago, uh, Rock and Roll with Ember. It's been fantastic. There's it's just a well-written book, great sample source code on GitHub that you get access to, and some upcoming screencasts, depending on which package you bought. Uh, when the author sold it, I got it on a special. I was very happy. <coughs> I'll give a link to that in the show notes as well. Okay, that's awesome. Cool. So do you guys just want to mention where people can find you online? Kenneth? Yes, yeah, so I'm online. I'm Kenneth Kalmer, K-L-M-E-R, everywhere. Uh, I... That's my Twitter, my GitHub, and I use the same avatar, so I'm trying to be easily identifiable. And I've got a blog, opensorcery.co.za, that I'm starting to pick up again, now that it's a markdown. It's actually a pleasure to use. So, And then otherwise, I'm in and around Joburg. Awesome. Peter? I'm at Peter, I'm, I'm at P. Harmsays on Twitter, and yeah, uh, you can find me on GitHub. Pretty easy to find since my surname is so unique. So, yeah. Cool. Um, and for anybody who wants to find me, I'm at StephenMacD underscore code on Twitter. Um, and if anybody wants an invite to the ZA Developer Slack channel, just drop me a message on Twitter um, or drop me an email at StephenMacD at gmail.com. Um, and it sounds a bit weird, but it's Stephen with a V, not with a PH. <laughs> 
And yeah, that's it. Kenneth, thank you very, very much for, for joining us and for running us through Ember. I have I've absolutely loved this. It's been really informative. Yeah, cool. Peter, thank you very much for joining as well. Love the questions. Woohoo. Thank you very much, Kenneth. Pleasure, pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. I really enjoyed it.